how do we not say the word tantrum? But then we're like, that's what everybody's looking for an answer to at a certain age. You know, you just like, that's just the word. We couldn't get around it. This is Matthew Del Negro, and you're listening to 10,000 No's. No matter what you do or where you are in your life right now, I'm pretty sure you've heard the word no more than once. And some of those no's might make you feel like you don't want to get out of bed. This podcast is here to tell you, you're not alone. If all these people can walk through the valley of no's to get to their yes, why can't you? Okay, hello and welcome. If you're new, thank you for joining us. These episodes come out every Friday. If you're not already subscribed on iTunes or Spotify, I hope you will consider doing it. If you're digging this, please leave a review, spread the word. Uh, Today, I have my first ever two-person interview with Heather Turgeon and Julie Wright. They are the co-authors of The Happy Sleeper, which is a very successful parenting book that's been out for a couple of years. And now they have just published and launched their second book, Now Say This, which is for a little further along advancement of uh, child development. And they're just really, they're both psychotherapists, both writers. Um, Heather's work has appeared in the New York Times, the Washington Post, Salon, among others. And Julie um, created the curriculum and the approach for the popular Write Mommy and Me classes in Los Angeles. It focuses on empathic, mindful parenting. And they had so many takeaways. If you are a parent, I feel like this is a must listen. They're very mellow, but don't be uh, don't be fooled into thinking you're going to get tons, tons of takeaways here. Don't be fooled into not thinking you're going to get tons of takeaways is what I mean to say. Um, they, they had, I, I'm very excited for you to hear this. Even if you're not a parent, a lot of what they say is applicable to any relationship, uh, marital relationships, work relationships. It's all about communication. Can't wait for you to hear this. Heather Turgeon and Julie Wright. Okay, so so now say this, your second book is fresh off the press. And um, your first book, The Happy Sleeper, was very well received. Um, how are you feeling with this launch? I mean, I, I want to get into The Happy Sleeper because I think there are a lot of people listening who want to hear that's a big pain point for a lot of parents. Uh, so I definitely want to talk about it. We can talk about it at the end. Um, where have you, uh, where did you kind of pick up after that book with Now Say This? So Now Say This um, came from, uh, Julie has been for so many years working with um, families around um, setting limits with empathy. And we started to talk about writing a book about communication with kids and it, we really felt like there was so much written about the importance of empathy and listening and all these sort of bigger concepts that are out there. Um, and, and people have written so well about the importance of them. But we've really felt like, well, what does that look like on a practical level? Like, we know all this about the importance of empathy, about listening and all of that. But what do you actually say? Like, what does it actually look like in real life? How do you respond to real moments with kids? And when when you're, you know, um, in the moment, you sometimes don't, it, you don't know what to say. And we wanted to make it incredibly practical. 
And just like you could open this book up and go like, oh yeah, there's that piece of dialogue that I just, I needed. So I think that there's, for me, I know, and for a lot of people, pages and pages of description can sometimes be just very eloquently summed up with one piece of dialogue. Yeah. And that's what we really felt like with this book we wanted to capture. That's really smart, by the way. Uh, it, was that something that like directly came from responses? Of, it, it's just people really wanted that and kind of asked for that in a way, or you instinctively thought, huh, it might be more effective to actually give them like a scene. Would, yeah. I think we really felt like that's what was missing and for us. Like that's what we were dying to see um, and to put out there is that is that practicality that we're just we're we love to make things incredibly user friendly and practical. And that's what people love about both of these books is that they're um, written in such a user friendly way that you know exactly where to get the information and you feel like every page has something on it that you can use. Yeah. Yeah, and we've been teaching this to the moms in our mommy me groups for years. And you don't, well, you're a parent, you remember that as young as like seven, eight, nine month old babies start to have pretty strong opinions about things. And yeah. all of a sudden, you know, don't want to have their diaper changed or get in the car seat or they want to grab things they're not allowed to grab. And you find yourself having to set limits with a relatively young baby. And we really wanted to help parents, even from that age, set off on this mindful approach to really connecting with what they're trying to do or what they're wanting and understanding it rather than just, you know, jumping right to the limit setting step. So that's where it grew, the, the desire to come up with a really simple approach that tired moms and dads could remember and start to practice um, we researched a lot of, there's a lot of great information, a lot of great research out there, but it's hard to remember. Some of it is like a 12-step approach right. or even a seven, like that's too many steps. We right. need three steps. Right, because you're in the battle zone when this is yeah, going down. Three yeah. steps, that's the max. So um, the moms in, and dads in the... In the we, had dads, we had some of them come to our book launch the other day and come up and thank us for, for changing their relationship with their kids. And... They loved it so much. At the end of the year, that was the topic that most of them said they liked the most. So we decided to take that simple three-step approach and expand it for, for ages up through school-age kids. This has come from your research. It's also come from your own, uh, your own dealings with your own kids, from the mommy and me groups. Um, not listening. Like the three-step approach, you do kind of distill it in every single chapter where you get everything down to the basics? Yeah, the three steps are attune, limit set, and problem solve. And you can really, I mean, Julie said this the other day, I think it's really true. There's, we have yet to find a difficult moment that you cannot apply these three steps to. So you, in terms of not listening, you would first attune. There's so many ways to attune. Um, and then set the limit or state the reality and then problem solve. So attuning when someone's not listening to you might be as simple as saying something like narrating um, what they're doing. For example, your shoes are not on your feet. <laughs> or <laughs> I see that you're still in your pajamas. <laughs> or, you know, it's a way of connecting with what they're doing or saying, saying something that gets to their state of mind. Like, let's say you've prepared dinner and your kids are building a tower of Legos 
and you say it's time for dinner and no one comes to the table, um, instead of just repeating the, the limit or the request again and just getting louder and louder, you go over, you squat down, look at them in the eye, look at their Lego set and go like, oh man, wow, you're building this Lego set. That's super cool. Wow, give them a second. That's your attuning step. And then you set the limit or state the reality. It's time for dinner. The dinner's on the table. And then the problem solving step might be, you know, um, let's put a sticky note on this Lego set that says, you know, don't touch or work in progress. And we'll come back to it after dinner. So you're letting your kids know you hear them. You're connecting with what they're doing. You're not yeah. just getting louder. You're connecting. And then you're stating your request. And then you're helping them move forward and come up with a solution. It's amazing. I mean, that that's kind of, you know, that would work in the workplace. I mean, that would work. Yeah. With, you know, it's kind of just amazing oh, it's, leadership. It's just communication. Really. It's not kids. It's literally yeah. just, yeah. It works in every relationship you can dream of. It really does. And that's part of the fun is once you learn it or embrace it or love it, you can just listen to people talking. You can practice it on the person at the mail at the post office. I mean, it's it's yeah. amazing how starting with connecting, starting with understanding. And I think a lot of times parents, when kids aren't listening or in a lot of other situations, one of the reasons they're reluctant to attune is they feel like if they attune to what the kid's struggling with, they'll make that thing worse. So if the kid's having a hard time getting dressed, they want to just say, come on, get dressed, rather than saying, gosh, it looks like you're having a hard time getting dressed. And that actually makes the child more able to Feel hear what on, comes next. Yeah. Like, you understand me. You're not fighting with me. You're on my side. You know, and it just opens up their heart and their mind to what you have to do next, which is, you know, hold the limit. And then the problem-solving step is really fun because you get to be creative and help them see outside the envelope and think, you know, you know, if the kid's having trouble getting dressed, you know what, I'm going to put my pants down on the floor and yours next to him. Let's see who can scoot into him faster. Like yeah. using your creativity and your humor as a parent is definitely part of the problem solving step. Yeah. It's funny hearing, hearing you guys speak about it. I feel like sometimes I'll, I'll do those things, you know, I can know to like switch to humor and try to, you, you know, try to knock them off their course. And, mm -hmm. um, but to hear it so succinctly put, makes me feel like, man, there, there are so many more. Um, I'm just thinking of my own parenting. It's, you know, you speak to an expert in any field and you start, I, as you're talking, I'm going, huh, there's like a tape running through my head. How have you been with this, Matt? Have you done this? And some of the things I do, I'm venturing to say I am not as consistent as you guys are with it, but I'm thinking of all of the other areas where you could kind of go into, I mean, relationships, marital relationships, work relationships, really, I mean, kind of the sky's the limit for what you to do, because you're, you're dealing, when you're dealing with kids, it's like, that's, that's like DEFCON 4. In my, yeah. You know? yeah, in, so if you guys are like solving this right now, I'm going, man, what could you do for, you know? Yeah, uh, I think, right. The, the I mean, one you could solve, you know, peace in the Middle East. I mean, <laughs> if you're dealing with what you're dealing with, you know, one step at a time. So the I think that the one of the things we hear most commonly is how useful it is for couples, because I mean, and I know this personally, like sometimes the, the easiest step to forget is the attune step. 
and because you just want to fix the problem, like you just want either with, if it's a kid, you just want to help them feel better right away, or you want to make them do what you're asking them to do. And you forget to attune first. And when you're talking to another, like to your partner, it's so easy to try to swoop in and fix. And so we really, and that's where, cause everybody knows it's important to listen, but no one really tells you exactly, like no one gives you specific advice on how to do that. So for example, in the book, we, teach people the good waiter technique, which is that if somebody tells you something difficult or that they're struggling with, you literally just repeat it back to them in your own words. So um, when you do, instead of saying, no, that's not true or no, you're great. Like so much of what we do is trying to prop each other up and coach each other and feel like want the other person to feel better or fix the problem. And instead of rushing in with a solution if you literally just say back to them what they said to you they feel heard they feel like you understand and you're with them and they are open to like figuring out a solution on their own with your support instead right. of feeling like they have to convince you like no i really am struggling like no this really does suck you know just hear me like just yeah. just be with me and i've it, never heard that as a husband i've never heard i'm sure you're, that, you've no, never, I mean, you've never i feel heard like that, that is the main, you know it's like i think guys mm -hmm. it, you know I'm, I'm generalizing here but um we tend to want to fix fix mm -hmm. and um that's what i'm hearing when you're talking about this a yeah. tune i'm thinking oh how yeah. much how much could I stop and listen, not try to impose my will on the situation, both, you know, with my wife and my kids, you know, how, how much am I, um, could I learn from this, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, and the other side of the coin to being trying to help and fix is judging or, you know, being disagreeable about how the person's feeling or discounting their feeling or patronizing them. So there's another whole aspect. We, mm -hmm. we ask people, we ask parents or adults, we say, you know, when you're having a difficult moment, you're sad or you're frustrated or you're struggling or you're upset, like, what do you want most from the person who's closest to you right, right then? Yeah. And what if, what would you say if I were to ask you that question? Like, what do you want most from the person closest to you? What do you want to be heard, I think to be understood and yeah, yeah. exactly. So that's, and I guess that's, that's the A step. That's yeah. it. And what, what do you sometimes get that you don't like? When, yeah, when someone doesn't understand or doesn't see it from my point of view. Right. So yeah. even if they don't agree with you, you want them to understand you, how yeah. you're feeling. Yeah. That's the A step. And yeah. it's easier to understand with adults, but I don't think it's, I don't think we think that way with kids because we're like, focused on teaching them or making them do things you don't necessarily or making them feel better like no one likes to see your kids struggling so it's harder I think it's harder to let them be let them struggle maybe I think a lot of parents also feel like it's their job to to teach their kids right and wrong and be very firm about it and they, they I think they think they have to be kind of stern and have a sort of a reprimanding tone to get their message across mm -hmm. and it's sort of like with the sleep thing, a more gentle approach is effective. It doesn't mean that you don't hold the limit. It doesn't mean that you're a pushover parent. Yeah. You can have both. That's really the main message of our book, that you can be empathic and extremely effective, even yeah. more effective. 
that's the, the golden nugget is you can be more effective if you lead with empathy. Without all the bluster. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Without the shaming, the judging. Um, can we do something? Can we jump back to, I want to come back to now say this, your current book, but now we're just talking about sleep for a second. Um, your, your, the happy sleeper, which was very well received and got you the, the deal to do this next book. Um, could you tell some people, cause there are parents listening and you know, that is a really difficult time. I know it was for us with our, our older son. Um, what are, well, before we even get to that, you do, you do these, uh, sleep consults. So walk us through what that is. Um, you actually go, you, you two will directly be there for, um, the, a, a client or whatever they'll do. Yeah. Yes, we, we love going into people's homes. We like to do in-home consults with people who live in New York City or in Los Angeles because that's where the two of us live. And if it's, if we can, if it's close by, we love going into people's homes and we do sleep consults for any, anyone up to school age. So we have like preschoolers and you'd be surprised how many older kids don't sleep well or their and parents sort of feel resigned to it. But we love going into people's homes to help them with older kids sleeps too kids sleep. Um, but most people contact us around four to seven months mm -hmm. with babies and we go in and, you know, listen, come up with a plan with them, give them a lot of support, walk them through. We love being in the home because we can demonstrate exactly what to do and exactly what to say. Um, and they can hear our tone and our, you know, watch us, you know, demonstrate. And then we, have a couple weeks of support after that initial meeting yeah. to make sure everything's, you know, going according to plan. Usually and do you find that is. a lot of people after like a 90 minute consult will, will actually be good They're to good. go? They're good to That's go. That's crazy We're, to we're me. so comprehensive. Why doesn't everybody do this? <laughs> it's, it's the, I mean, I think it's just really I mean, I just well didn't know, do because... other people do this? I didn't know, I didn't, I don't know that I, um, I'm trying to think if we, I we never had, anything like that. It sounds kind of amazing. It, it is. It feels amazing. People will often write to us and just say how amazed they are at, at how well their child's sleeping. And we've gotten to the point because our starting point for the book is babies are built to sleep. Sleep is natural. And it's actually not that hard for them if we just get out of their way. The trick is how to get out of their way in a way that's not emotionally traumatizing to them. But if we do it in a very comprehensive, very organized way, nighttime sleep usually improves in well under a week. And, and parents are just just shocked at how capable their babies yeah. are. And we've gotten to the point where we just say we're happy for you, but we're not really surprised yeah. because we've seen it over and over again. We really believe in, in babies' capacity to sleep well when they're developmentally capable, about yeah. five months and older. So let's say someone is listening. I mean, they literally go to a website and they go, hey, you know, like they can sign up through. Yeah. Our, everything is just the same as our book. Thehappysleeper.com is our website. And yeah. there's a page on there about services consults. And they just email us and tell us what's going on. And we. What if they don't live in your city? They can. Can they do like a FaceTime thing yes. or a Skype thing or yep. whatever? We do Skype 
sessions with people all over the world. Um, or if people have the book, then they can book a shorter consult and we do 30 or 60 minute phone calls with people. Yeah, so if they do a Skype or a FaceTime, they just walk around the house, show us the baby's bedroom, and we, we essentially do exactly the same thing that yeah. we would do in person. Yeah. And so, I mean, I would imagine that you end up being, do you end up getting crazy referrals? Because I, to me, it seems like you're solving such a real and immediate problem that if it were me, I just, I know how I am with any service. Like, you know, with, I, I have a, uh, I had a bad back and I went to a rolfer who fixed me and I have sent her so many people because she changed my life. So anytime I hear someone has a bad back, I'm like, boom, here's mm-hmm. the number. Um, I would imagine it's the same kind of thing. Do you get a lot of like, you deal yeah. with someone here in LA and then they, you, you get like their cousin or their sister in all the time, Chicago That's, or something. Or, yeah. Yeah. The word of mouth is, is so big. So it's usually pediatricians or just people who, that we've helped um, and spread through word of mouth. Yeah. And we also sometimes have this sense that people don't know that we do the consults, you know? We, oh, they think you have like minions yeah, that are out there doing Yeah, like it. a team or something. But Heather and I, we do the consults and we, we love we <laughs> love helping families sleep better. It's, it's so gratifying. Yeah. It's so impressive. I mean, so you're doing, I mean, you, you've pumped out two books already. You, you do the consults yourself. Um, I'm imagining that the just getting a book launched and like the whole, you know, I, I'd love to get into that a little bit because it is 10,000 no's. We end up kind of, you know, going over this topic of like, what what have you found between the, um, there's the, the kind of the art and the work of writing a book and then there is selling a book. Um, I know just because I know from research, there's been a lot of word of mouth that has that has kind of really built your audience and your readership. Uh, how has that whole thing been like press tours and all of that kind of stuff? You have to go, you feel like you have to go out there and sell it? Is it? Yeah, we, well, we'd love to be sent on a press tour. It's funny. People always <laughs> say like, you're, are you guys touring now? And we're like, yeah, we're going to this bookstore tomorrow. And then we're driving to this other bookstore here in LA, but we, and we will be in New York city in the summer. So, but we're, we're kind of sending ourselves on a book tour. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the writing, I mean, for me, cause writing is like one of my, that's, that's sort of what I do. So writing a book is very straightforward to me. Like it's a process that I know and editing is what I love to do. And so that part feels really natural and like, oh, that's just what I, what I do. So that's, I get it. I get how to do that. I get how to wake up every morning and sit in front of my laptop and like, I can control that. The, the promotion, I don't think that I ever understood what was on the other side of publishing a book is so much marketing that that authors like us are involved in, like heavily involved in, you know, it's not like somebody just takes it from us and goes like, Oh yeah, we'll, we'll take care of all of this. We, because the, what we're doing is helping families. And when we help families, they, then the word spreads, but if, but we need to put the book in front of the right people in order for that to happen. So that's, I mean, in a way it's great because the book is super helpful, just like the happy sleeper. So when people read it, then, then it spreads, but we, you know, we just, just to get the people to read it, you have to yeah. go get, you know, a mega horn and yeah, exactly. And megaphone, or, right. It is, and, right. And, and so, or just Instagram, you know, like people with like 
actual families who who like bloggers and people on Instagram like the, if they see it they have it in their hands and they read it then they usually really appreciate it and then so it organically spreads that way yeah yeah and the process well the publisher gives us a publicist leading up to the the publishing date and they're great and they do everything they can but we also every entity who does want to connect with us we we have to write an article or answer written questions or in, in some cases do an interview. So we're, we're constantly sort of telling, you know, your story telling our story yeah. over and over again. And it's great, but it's, it's a lot of work. It's a lot. It's yeah. a lot of work. No, I mean, I, I, I can relate to that as, as an actor. And even with this podcast, it's like, you got to get, you got to go tell people you're doing this and then, and it's all, it's all a process. So there's part of it is kind of the creative and part of it is mm-hmm. going out there and letting people know that you exist. So, yeah. you know, my hope is if people, if you're listening right now and you you do pick up this book or, or if you have read, you, you know, maybe you don't have Now Say This yet, but you've read The Happy Sleeper, you just, it may not seem like anything to you as you're sitting there listening to this, wherever you're listening to it, but you putting it out to your friends and family, if it really hit you, is, is a huge help to these two women who have put years and years of their life into helping families. So it's, you know, that, that's kind of the thing. Like I, I feel just sitting here, it's anybody that I have on that I really enjoy and respect. I'm like, please somebody, you know, mm-hmm. help them. Or if I can help by, you know, people mm-hmm. listening and just hearing your, your story. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so cool that you're actually available to do the consults. That's kind of, I, I would imagine people just don't even really. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're therapists. So that's our training is that we help people individually. So we have a practice here in, in Santa Monica where we work with individuals and parent pe- people come in with parenting dilemmas. That's one of our focuses. And then working one-on-one with people around sleep. I mean, I'm, I'm mildly obsessed with sleep and could talk about it forever and love helping people with it. So, um, we, we've even started to do some work with adults about their sleep. Huh. So we moved from babies through school age and into adulthood. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I recently moved to New York City, so I'm trying to spread the word about my sleep consult work there. But, you know, there are a lot of sleep con- consultants out there. It's it's becoming, I think, a bigger and bigger, a bigger business. Thing. So kind of breaking into that isn't, isn't an obvious thing. Yeah. Yeah. And now when you wrote the book together, you were out in L.A. and you guys were physically together or would you so you you physically were together Mm -hmm. writing the whole thing or would you take a piece, you take a piece and you'd get together and swap notes or how did that creative process work? Because I would imagine collaborating on a book is, you know, kind of a negotiation. Yeah, we were both together in L.A. Julie was here until we finished. Or almost, almost, um, yeah. The last edits, I think. But yeah, we would we pass chapters back and forth, and you know, just make comments. And everything we do together is better. You know, we we have so many. We have similar ways of thinking. There's almost nothing that we don't agree on. Like maybe just like fine details. Mostly, it's that we have the same way of thinking, and we we catch each other's. Like I don't. We just build on each other's ideas. Yeah. In a way that. Like our both books just couldn't be what they are without both of us. Like it's just such a better it's, together it's kind of situation. Yeah, yeah you built them. Yeah, it's an other. amazing partnership. Yeah. And I think our 
for me at least, our favorite moments are when we just talk and brainstorm things. So I think mm-hmm. whenever we get to a point where we feel like it's not coming out the way we want it to, we know that all we need to do is get together and talk. Yeah. And it'll all get better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so yeah. I recommend finding a partner. Finding a like partner Heather. to collaborate with. Yeah. Yeah. The collaboration is nice, but it's it's tough to find someone that you actually hook in with on on that level. Yeah. Um so so jumping back to now say this, uh you have a chapter on tantrums. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really funny that you say that. We tried so hard not to say the word tantrum. Oh. Because I find it a very judgmental word. Like it really, it, it, what a tantrum is an emotional flood and it's, and it's not a, but I find the word tantrum has a negative connotation. Right. So we were like, how do we not say the word tantrum? But then we're like, that's what everybody's looking for an answer to at a certain age. You know, you just like, that's just the word we couldn't get around it. But tantrums are like what we would describe as emotional floods. Like you're out of, your feelings are out of control. You don't have you know, control over your feelings and your behavior and you, you know, have a meltdown and it's just developmentally really normal. Mm. Actually, adults have tantrums too. (laughs) We like to pretend it's a kid thing, but it's not. (laughs) Yeah. It's just a a little more under wraps, but it happens. Yeah. Um, And, and how do you, is it kind of a uh, let them get it out? Is it, does it still, do you come back to that attune limit set problem solve, but it's just a little more, a little more intense. Exactly. So the A step, the attune step, you would, you would try to get that out or convey it. Sometimes um, we heard a mom yesterday actually describe how she conveyed it just non-verbally, just through her body positioning and her facial expression and her demeanor with her child. She said, I don't think I did the A step. And we said, you actually did. But when children are having a, a full-on tantrum, they can't hear what comes next, which is the limit setting and problem solving step. And that's where the learning takes place. But what we want them to feel is that their feelings are okay with us. We're not going to try to stop their big feelings as long as they're safe and they're not breaking anything or hurting themselves. We want them to feel like they can get their feelings out. Sometimes we have to move them to a quieter place. <laughs> I was just, I, you're you're like literally just story. anticipated yeah. my next question. Yeah. Like, what do you do when you're in a public yeah. place? Yeah, there's sometimes a gathering gently, as gently as you can and saying, I'm, I'm, I'm just getting you to a, a private, calmer place. So you're yeah. not doing it as a sort of a reprimanding move, but, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm helping you so we can have a little privacy and a little quiet. And I think one of the things we say in the book that I really love is make a habit of doing that whenever your child's having a difficult moment, even if it's not a tantrum, if they say something rude to you at a, you know, at a friend's home, say to them, you know, come in, come into the bathroom with me for a second, yeah. you know, and, and, and work it out with them. That's funny. My dad used to do, he used to take walks. He would, you know, let's go take a my, little walk. my sister, my brother, or I, he would, you know, he'd be like, let's go, let's go take a walk. And you knew what that was. And somehow, yeah. somehow we would come back. I think my grandparents would always say, what is he saying? <laughs> he takes him for a walk, but somehow, you know. It's really sweet. It, it was, uh, yeah, definitely. I think the emotions kind of were able to get out. And then mm-hmm. by the time you get back, you almost forget what you mm-hmm. were crying about in the first place. Um, That's really smart because you're moving and you're changing your environment and you're when you're walking. I mean, there's so much about creativity and walking and like when you when you have a stuck moment and you take a walk. 
you know, and you're not you're facing each other. Yeah. You know, you're walking, and yep. yeah, that's that's pretty brilliant. Mm-hmm. We should put that in the book. Oh, yeah, yeah, Dad, listen to this. Get in the shower. <laughs> But, yeah, with the tantrum, you have to wait until the child's receptive to, you know, and the limit-setting step, you may or may not have to repeat it. They're having the tantrum because you're holding the limit, so you don't necessarily have to drill that into them. The trick is not to cave just because they're having a tantrum. And then the problem-solving step, depending on the age of the child and what happened, you know, letting them know that there's a way for them to get their needs met or to verbalize what they were feeling or to make a better choice. Um, And we also do something called circling back, which means maybe the next day or later the same day, you might circle back, not in a way of saying, well, we need to really learn something from this, but but we really do want to learn from it and talk about it. Like, do you remember what happened earlier? And, you know, because often they're able to to really relay how they were feeling and why better. A little bit later on. I, uh, yeah, I find that. I mean, I find that with both kids. I think, uh, particularly my son, at at night for whatever reason, going to bed is very calm mm-hmm. and kind of very articulate. Mm-hmm. Whereas during the day, not quite as much. Mm-hmm. And so there's something to that, like taking advantage of that time where you're really just sitting there and and connecting. And then sometimes, like the next day, it's like you're right back to where. Yeah. You know, like it's almost like you feel like, God, did that great conversation happen last night? I thought we were really (laughs) seeing eye to eye here, but it's um, in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, I think sometimes it it seems like having faith that it is in there. Yeah. And that that was another question I had for you was like, um, you know, it's related to the tantrums, but just in public sometimes, I I will find as a parent, and I'm wondering if other people relate to this. Sometimes you go like, is it your own embarrassment of your own stuff? And now you're kind of taking it out on your kid for, you, you know, you're, you're, you're almost asking them something that doesn't really, it's almost not fair to them in, in some cases. Um, yeah. You know, you it could can, be about your own hangups or right. whatever. Can you give an example? Um, I'm trying to think of just like. Like, there's a lot of times when I think we react more harshly than we need to because you feel the judgment of people yes, around that, you. That's You're what like, I mean. I'm trying to, I can't think of a specific, but that's what it is. It's mm-hmm. like they do something and you you feel like it makes you look bad yeah, yeah. as a parent. Yeah. And so you're then right. through the roof because you're trying to get a handle on it and seem like you, you can control it. Yeah. 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 And I guess it's the same thing applies. I mean, it's funny that 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 it was a tune, limit set, problem solve. It just feels like very mm-hmm. um, kind of across the board. It really feels like it applies. Mm-hmm. I'm not even talking kids. I'm just saying like life. Yeah. Well, in that example too, you you can turn the attune step right on yourself and say, you know what? Nobody's walking in front of a car. So I'm going to take a few minutes to figure out why I'm starting to get so heated yeah. because you buy time, you calm down, you realize I actually really want to attune to what's going on with my child right now and try to, you know, not listen to these voices around me or feel like eyes are watching me, but I really want to connect with my child. But you buy yourself time mm-hmm. by by saying, you know what? Wow, I'm starting to get really, 
really mm-hmm. aggravated and yeah. feel like I'm about to say something I'm, I might not be so happy about later. Yeah. Yeah. So you give yourself like a mini mm-hmm. timeout. Yeah. Almost. So, okay. I have to ask you the, the sibling thing. You have a whole chapter on siblings. We love this chapter. Yeah. Okay. What, what do you got? (laughs) (laughs) Like what, you know, what, what do you, because, uh, you know, I have two siblings, two older siblings and, you know, there were definitely, uh, I would say we all get along, but I would say it was definitely, you know, like most families that I know, um, there, there are, there's sibling rivalry. There's, you know, if there, I've seen a, all different ways where there's same sex, like the, the older brother on a younger brother, very hard. I've seen older brother tough on the younger sister, every which way, older sister. What are your, what are the findings on this and what, um, how, how have you helped people with this? Well, the good news is that we really feel like siblings working out stuff with siblings is like a dress rehearsal for working out conflicts with other people in life. So Sibling conflict is not a bad thing if you handle it. The goal is really to actually teach kids how to use the attune, limit, set, and problem-solve steps with each other. And it's not like a magic overnight thing. It takes, you know, a long time to get that to happen. But when you're when you're faced with a sibling conflict, your ultimate goal is to help them attune to each other, to set their limits with each other, like say what they want in a proactive, clear way with each other, and then to come up with a solution. So um, one of the things I like to help parents do is what we call sports casting. So when you see when something's happening, somebody's having a big feeling, somebody took something from somebody else, or they both want the same toy, or they just one wants space from the other one, and the other one's following them around and wanting to play, you, instead of judging or fixing it for them or trying to, you know, make it stop, you literally just pretend that you're a sportscaster and you're just narrating what you see in front of you without judgment and you're not taking sides. <laughs> that is so, so you're awesome. like, I see you, you know, I see you moving away from her and you're, you look like you want to play or, you know, I, I just noticed that you took the toy and now you're looking sad. It's like you, you don't, you don't, pretend to have the answer. You just literally describe what's in front of you. And the great thing is that they feel like you're attuning to them because you are seeing them both, but they they actually start to see each other in that moment. And they have the the, the room to then like start to, you know, they, they that just- That is such yeah. a cool- I mean, at first I thought it was funny because I thought you were literally, and he's taking the block from her. <laughs> totally. It's a, it's kind of like that. <laughs> she is hitting him in the back of the head. <laughs> really hard. But really hard. Yeah. Oh, that one hurt. Right. You know, but I mean, so I was thinking it was funny, but I, I think it's brilliant. You could be funny about it, but like you, it's, it is, it really is a way of letting them know that you see them and at the same time, not solving their problems for them. Because as long as nobody's getting hurt, you don't have to swoop in. You can narrate what's happening and then you can ask support them to state their limits to each other so a lot of times kids are saying things in a negative like they'll say I don't I didn't like it when she you know blah blah or I don't I you know what's a negative thing I don't know it's it's usually a lot of times yeah, it's for, don't grab free. my toy or don't yeah. touch my stuff so or they don't say, wear my clothes right or... they say what they don't want yeah. so if you coach them to say what they do want in a proactive way, it's so much easier for the other person to to know what to do. So you say, like, let her know what you do want. 
instead of saying what you don't want, huh. tell her what you do want. So you're coaching them to use the limit setting step with each other in a proactive, positive way. Like, I need space, or can you move your body away from me? Or um, when you're done with that, I really want to use it. Or, you know, don't, you know, you instead of saying all the negative things you don't want, you say what you do want. So that's how you coach them with the limit setting step. And then you would say, like, I like when people give their kids the chance to solve their own problems by saying, you know, okay, I'm seeing what's happening here. So, hmm, this is really a tough one. I think you guys are going to come up with a plan. I'm here if you need support, but I bet you guys can come up with a solution, especially with older kids, because you're really kind of like, I trust you. Like, you guys are smart, and I think you'll figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. That's the problem-solving step. I Again, everything you guys are saying, I'm really feeling like it applies to... Um, I'm just thinking, like, if you have someone who's working for you, there's the temptation to just say, don't do this, don't yeah. do that. But how could you be more yeah. specific in what you do yeah, want? Because exactly. people do, you know, they like to do a good job. And maybe it's that you're instructions are not specific are mm -hmm. not clear enough or yeah. your your goals are not clear enough mm -hmm. and it's it's interesting to hear that to get your your kids to do that to each other is mm -hmm. i'm just thinking right now when you're saying like what would they say i'm just thinking you know you're annoying she's yeah. annoying yeah, you know yeah. or you know he's he's <sighs> bothering me he's in my it, it is all like it's it, what it, you don't want it's yeah. what you're yeah and so and this or like whining whining is really like i don't like this. I I don't want this. This happened. And it's like, if you can attune first and say, I can hear you're having a big feeling, you're struggling with something. Tell me that. Tell me what you want in a positive way. That way I can help you. Tell me what you're looking for right now so that I can help you. I want to understand. Okay. So let me, an area that you guys cover in the book that is, I think, big right now, really big, which is screen time. A um, lot of talks about it. Where where do you stand on this? And what can you tell listeners that are kind of grappling with this? How do you, do you have, is it is it like a, a weekly plan? Is it a daily plan? Is it both of those? How could you describe that to listeners? Yeah, it, it is such a big issue. And we don't have an exact plan for every family, but we do encourage families to sit down and talk about it. Because I think a lot of families are reluctant to, to make up their family agreements around screens. Um, they feel like their kids are comparing their experience to their friends and they're feeling deprived if they don't get as much screen time as their friends do or the pressure of, of uh, all, the, all the screens. Um, and we, we want parents to think more about making friends with screens and finding a way to incorporate them into their lives that, that works for them. Um, for instance, well, what's a good example? We talk about, um, like in Heather's family, um, I mean, my son grew up in a time when we didn't really have personal cell phones and that kind of thing. So I didn't have to deal with it the way that she did, but they have a family agreement that they park their screens before they sit down for a meal, for example, if they go out to a restaurant. Um, and yeah, you have some resistance around, you know, 
oh, 30 minutes of screen time and now it's over kind of thing. But I think I think those are just opportunities to to use your, you know, your ALP approach. It's okay for them to be unhappy. Yeah. We're not trying to make our kids happy all the time. We're trying to help them regulate in and out. And I think screens can be so addicting that I think kids really need help at an early age learning to separate how from to, them. Yeah, yeah. How to, how to kind of have um, portions of them. Yeah, with, we yeah. all know the feeling of just turning to your phone almost constantly. And I think if we can teach our kids early on that they're absolutely capable of separating from their screens and then going back to them. And we have to think about how we model our behavior. I was just going to ask you that because, you know, what what is your stance on that, on being on your phone in front of your kids? Or um, while you're driving. Yeah. I mean, if you're having a conversation with your child or playing with them and your phone bings or dings or rings and you just in that moment turn your head away from them to look at the phone what is what is that message to your child you know I'd much rather parents say either ignore it or say I'll I'll look at that later yeah you know and stay connected in that moment um, it's become sort of an acceptable way of behaving. And we all do it. Yeah. You know, we all turn our heads away when our phone makes a sound. And, of course, you might have somebody you need to make sure you get back to or maybe you have a special ring for somebody who you, you absolutely have to get their message right away. Yeah. But a lot of what we turn to is not essential in that moment. It, it's such a complicated issue. but Yeah, it really is because screens also add so much. I mean, they... I mean, so many of us just work on our screens and we need them and they they do so much for us. But I think just having simple personal boundaries around them, like thinking about your own personal boundaries, like small example is that when I go to pick up the kids from school, I leave my phone. I don't I don't take it with me to just just literally to go from the car to get them to come back to the car or um, you know, when we get home and it's like an hour before bedtime, I put it, I, I, I silence it and I don't look at it for that one hour, like just connect with them at the end of the day kind of thing. Yeah. Whatever makes sense for each person. I think if you just come up with your own, own thing and hold to it, that helps a lot. Um, and then coming up with family rules around screens that are, well, I think that family agreements around screens are a more positive way to say family rules. Like it's, it's, we agree on these things. We hash them out. We decide as a family and we can sit down and have a family meeting about it. We come up with our screen, you know, our, um, agreements, just like other things that we have agreements about in the family. And then everyone knows and they, and we stick to them. I think it's really important to, for kids that are growing up now to, for us to help them be, aware of how, like, be smart consumers of media instead of just regulating it for them and saying, like, you can't or you can, to, to help them have some insight about what it what their interaction is like with media, like helping them basically develop a little more insight around it, because at some point, they're, we're not going to be able to control to it anymore. Yeah. yeah. So if I'll say sometimes, like, do you, do you notice how it feels when you stop playing a video game? Like, what does it feel like? Or what did it feel like when you got to that next level? It was so exciting. And then you didn't get to that next level that like, like talking about the power of video games, helping them see it a little more like to see their, see themselves, I think 
they um, hopefully will have that insight going forward and they'll be able to realize like how much power it can have over them and be able to manage it a little better. Yeah, kids like having the inside scoop. Like, well, why do you think they designed the game this way? Right. You know, yeah. when my son was little, I used to explain to him what commercials were and why, and mm-hmm. that they were trying to get you to yeah. buy something that you might not really need. And he loved that. He felt so right. like, oh, yeah, you're not going to get me. Yeah. And it was just that that kind That's of thing. Funny. Where you I've really... explained that to my kids as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That they, they're setting up a need and, and then filling it with whatever the product is. Right. And so they're aware of that now. Um, So, so many things that you touch on. um, If you, if you had to distill it, I mean, I kind of feel like I have my, my number one takeaway is that, you know, the, the attune limit set problem solve. But if you had to, if you had to give like one, you're only allowed to give one bit of advice to parents, uh, to to young parents, you know, I mean, I, I guess I guess we could go, you know, because it's the second book now and you're dealing with a little bit older. They've got let's imagine they've gotten through the sleep deprivation and they're what would what would your advice be if you could distill it to one little thing? Well, we have uh, this thing in the book called the iceberg analogy. And what it means is that the behavior that you see that you find difficult, resistance or, you know, desire for things they can't have or breaking a rule is just the very tip of the iceberg. So I think the main thing I would want parents to always be thinking about is what's really going on beneath the surface. And that's really key to the connecting and the understanding and essentially to the teaching that you need to do to be, to be a good parent to them. Yeah, that's beautiful. I mean, yeah, because they can they can be reacting in one way on the surface, but it's really yeah covering up something else, maybe an insecurity or doubt or something underneath. Right, all kinds of things, psychological yeah. things like that, or basic needs like sleep, being sleep deprived, or having a you know being hungry, or having eaten a lot of junk food the day before and now feeling like they have a little bit of a hangover, <laughs> like, <laughs> exactly, or just you know exhaustion or whatever. There's so many so many things that are under the iceberg. Yeah. It almost always feels to us that they're just trying to get our goat, but it's hardly ever true, Yeah, you know? So it's really getting to a place of pausing and being curious about what's really going on with them. Yeah, that's great. Thank you, guys. Um, so before we go, just tell everybody where they could find you, Um We've talked about it, The Happy Sleeper, which has been out for a few years. If you've got a young infant, definitely go get it. Now Say This is is just out uh, in the last week or two, um, depending on when this airs. And... um, where where could they find you? What was the website? Yeah, our website is the is thehappysleeper.com and all of our social media is The Happy Sleeper. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And the books are on Amazon and everywhere. Okay. Yeah, and we love to hear from parents, so That's, let us know what you're So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, everybody, you know, you got to kind of interact with them or go follow them on, on Instagram and all of that and, and let your friends know and your family know. Uh, Julie Wright, Heather Turgeon, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. 
Okay, well, thank you again for listening to yet another conversation here at 10,000 Knows. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I want to give you my big takeaway. Uh, There were many, but I'm going to go back to the cornerstone of everything they talked about, which was that three-step approach, attune, limit set, and problem solve. It seems like it applies to everything. And uh, kind of piggybacking on that, I also liked what they said about if you attune to what's not working, it can make things worse. And made me think of the quote, where your attention goes, energy flows. So trying to you know focus on the positive rather than the negative, which is a real reminder to myself because when I'm worked up with my kids, it's easy to go, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? And keep putting it in their face. And it's not necessarily doing any good. It's, uh, it's actually probably doing destructive things. And um, for that, kids, if you're listening to this 20 years from now, I am sorry. I will try to be better. Uh, thanks again for, uh, for subscribing. If you're not subscribed, iTunes and Spotify, that'll give you these shows every Friday when they come out. You can also listen at 10,000knows.com. If you have questions or suggestions for us, you can email us at info at 10,000knows.com. And if you liked what you heard, please spread the word. iTunes reviews, posts on social media are great. Just tell your friends and your family. And the main intent for me here is hopefully we're entertaining you. We're, we're letting you hear these conversations with cool people to encourage you really to keep going follow your dreams this one was a little different today it was more of a a how-to parent um, but the gist of it is even with parenting when times get tough know that other parents have been there before you and it's you know you're not the only one you can get through that night you can get through that day that tantrum whatever it is even if it's one step a day we all get knocked down doesn't mean we have to get knocked out We'll see you next Friday when the next episode drops. Thanks again.